Today we're in a brand new series. We sort of kick off a new series that we've called The Seven Mile Road. Okay? Uh, so as we do that, let me talk about names for a second. So all of us know that names are a really big deal. Right? We've got enough young parents in this church that we're around new names all the time. Like when we find out someone's pregnant, uh, one of our first questions is, is it a boy or a girl? And then the next question is immediately, do you guys have a name, right? Have you picked out a name? Or when we find out that someone has given birth, uh, right after we find out if mom and baby are doing okay, the first thing we want to know is, what's the baby's name, right? And names are a big deal. Uh, just this week, uh, Shaina and I have been around two new births. Our good friends Joel and Cynthia, who live down in the city, had a baby boy, uh, a boy named Jonah Isaac Cacopardo, a good Jewish-Italian name, right? So she's Jewish, he's Italian, Jonah Isaac Cacopardo. And then this week, we also went to the hospital and visited Shiju and Anu, who had uh, a baby girl. They gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. By they, I mean mostly Anu, right? And they gave birth to Diana Lisa Daniel. Uh, names mean a great deal. And I bet if you ask each of these new parents, how did you come up with that? They'd, of course, have a story, right? Hannah has a story behind her name. All parents have a story. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story of how my younger sister, Asha, got her name. So if you ask my parents, they would tell you how I was born, I was the elder of a beautiful, handsome baby boy. And you would think that's all that they would need, but they wanted another child. And the story is that they desperately wanted a girl. And so a year later, their hope, their dream was fulfilled. So Asha means hope or dream or wish. And so the story goes that my father turned to my mother and said, you got your hope, you got your wish, you got your desire, you got your Asha, let's name her that. It's a beautiful story, right? Except it gets a little awkward when I go, and how did you name me a J, right? And then there's just this disgusting, gross silence. And they just sort of scratch their heads and they furrow their eyebrows. Why did we name you a J, right? And so I have to think, I got called Ajax for 15 years because you had no reason or rhyme behind a J. For the most part, names mean a great deal to us. Whether we're naming a kid, whether we're naming a project, a business, or even a new church. Or even a new church, right? So there's a rhyme and a reason. So our baby infant four-month-old church plant is called Seven Mile Road Church. And what I want you to get is that there is a rhyme and a reason, a story behind that name. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few weeks walking in that story, getting a feel for what the Seven Mile Road is all about. Why that name? Uh, why are we doing this? When you come to the beginning of a brand new year, it offers each of us uh, a new opportunity to make resolutions again, or to reaffirm, to realign our hearts with what's really important, to prioritize in our hearts and minds what this next year is going to be about. Well, that's what we're going to do as a community. Standing here in January, our hope is to figure out, okay, what are the next 12 months or next season in the life of the church, what are we going to be about? What's centrally important to us? What are the values that's going to shape and mold our new community? And the answers to all of that, my hopes for everything that we could become and we will be, is right here in this name, the Seven Mile Road, and in this story. 
So our hope is to walk around in that story, to hear again the story of that name, and to flesh out what will life in this new community that God is planting in Northeast Philly, what will that look like? On your seats, you've got a one-page sermon guide to this series. Just see it sort of like uh, a map to sort of track our journey together. We're walking the seven-mile road. Each week, our hope is to cover a, a different one of those miles. By the way, just in case you noticed, um, this was the size of our last preview, I mean, our sermon series, right? So uh, seeing that we basically cut down half the Amazon to build this thing and that it just sat as a paperweight in the back, I might have gotten a little carried away with 20 pages worth. And so this time we've reduced it to one single page. So if any are left in the back, you will have hurt me deeply, so take them home with you, right? So the idea is just this will give you a preview of what each of the weeks are going to be, what the different miles we're trying to cover. So today, as a community, we start walking the seven-mile road together, and our hope is to cover mile one today. Let me pray, and then we'll walk together. Our Father, we, your people, come and we pray now. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and use me as your servant. I long to be nothing more than your mouthpiece to say to your people your word. And we also pray and I pray for the people, the men and women gathered before me, that the Holy Spirit, you would ensure that good seed would find its way to good soil and produce fruit. Don't let your word be cast to the rocky soil on the side, or take root shallow and spring up quick, but burn away. Let your word over these next few weeks, we submit the pulpit to you for the next few weeks, let it find deep soil, break up the hard ground, plant it there, and let it produce fruit in our lives and us as a community. And it will all be to your glory and our good. This is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I, I don't want to assume that we all know the Seven Mile Road story, so I, I want to just take two minutes to just give you a summary of what's happening. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to page 885, it's Luke 24, we're looking at verses 13 to 35. It's the passage Shelley read for us. Here's basically the story. When you get to Luke 24, Jesus has lived his life, he has died his death, and he has risen from the dead. So Luke's gospel is the gospel, the good news of the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you get to chapter 24, he has done those things. He has risen from the dead. And in verse 13, you start following the journey of two of his disciples who have not yet caught on to the fact that he's risen from the dead. So we read this story 2,000 years after the fact. We're in on the secret that everything turns out okay. But for a moment, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of these two men who are walking this seven-mile road from the city of Jerusalem where Jesus has died to a village named Emmaus, right? Verse 13 tells us they were walking to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they're walking, the journey starts out with them being just in utter despair. I mean, they're just devastated, their, their dreams, their hopes, all of it crushed. They're just in absolute dismay and despair, right? Again, picture yourselves in their shoes. You had followed this man, Jesus, for years. 
You had placed all your hopes and all your dreams and all your trust in him. You were hoping he was the one that the scriptures were pointing to. You were hoping he was the Messiah who would deliver God's people and set them free from their captors. And now that hope is dead. He has died, and with it, all their dreams and all their hopes of what he was going to accomplish, dead. And not just that he died, the way that he died further confirmed and concreted and sealed in their minds that he wasn't the one. Because how does he die? He dies hanging on a tree. In their Old Testament scriptures, in the Jewish law, it was written, Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So he doesn't just die, he dies the death that when you see it, you know that man is not in favor with God. That man is cursed by God. So not only is he, in their minds, not the one they were hoping for, he dies the worst possible death, confirming to them this couldn't have been the one. And so all their faith, everything they were hoping for, they had given their years to this guy. And now it was dashed, dead. So they're walking from the city of his death, seven miles to a village named Emmaus. And as they're walking comes this third traveler who just starts joining them on the journey. Now we the readers, Luke gives us the detail that this is Jesus walking next to them, but their eyes are kept from seeing him so they don't recognize him. And he starts walking with them. And he asks them, what is it you guys are talking about? And, and the text is great because it says, they stopped still looking sad. So you can just picture them. Two of them walking these seven miles, and his question is so absurd to them that they literally stop in their tracks, turn to him and say, what? And, and they ask him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who has not heard of what happened there? It sort of would be like, if you were in New York City on 9-11 in 2001 and someone came up to you and said, what happened here? You would go, have you not turned on the news? Have you been hiding in the sand? Where have you been? Everybody knows what happened here. And so they're expecting, who is this that doesn't get it? And then the story is great because they begin telling Jesus about Jesus. And so they start telling Jesus the, basically the message of the gospel. They say, we had this man who was mighty in word and deed, sent by God, and we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, but our chief priests put him to death. And you can imagine Jesus almost having to tuck his hands, his nail-pierced hands, into his cloak and going, really, is that what happened? And then they go on to say, not only do they know the facts of his death, but they even know the facts of his resurrection. Because they go on to say, and some women in our company amazed us because they said that they went to the tomb and it was empty and this is the third day and there's rumors of his resurrection. And Jesus just continues walking with them. And, and, and they say, we had hoped he was the one. At, at which point, I'll give you a summary of the story. Jesus turns to them and says, you're so foolish and slow to believe. And on that road, he begins to open the scriptures and unpack to them all the truth of the gospel and show them that the Christ was supposed to come and suffer and die. And, and as he's talking, their hearts are just beginning to burn. Right? If you've ever had that moment where you hear truth and suddenly there's a stirring in your heart, you, you can't 
help but contain what's happening. And, and Jesus' words are piercing and penetrating their hearts. And, and then they get to where they're supposed to go. It's now dark. And, and so Jesus is motioning like he's going to keep going. And so these two plead with him saying, don't leave us. Come in. Stay with us. Have a meal with us. And, and so Jesus walks in. And then they sit around the table. And then Jesus takes bread and he gives thanks and breaks it in their sight. And something about the breaking of that bread, suddenly their eyes are opened and they see it's the Christ. He vanishes from their sight and the first thing they do is just turn to one another and say, didn't your heart burn also when he talked to us on the road about the scriptures? And then the very next thing they do is at once they run seven miles back to tell everyone in their sphere, in their circle, in their city, in their culture about what had happened on the road. All right, so that's, that's the story. The, the hope we're going to do is, over the next few weeks, unpack different details of that story and sort of cast a vision for how that could shape the kind of community we're going to become. So the first detail I want us to focus in on today is the idea of a road. I get that that's not overly profound, so stick with me for a second, right? All of this, the entire narrative, the entire story of Luke 24 happens on a road. It happens over the course of a journey, over going from here to there. Verse 13 and 14 say that they were walking the seven miles, talking to one another. In verse 17, Jesus shows up on the road and begins walking with them. In verse 32, they say, did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road? In verse 35, they're going to run to tell everyone what had happened on the road. All of this, the entire story, happens over the course of a journey, over a road. And Luke tells us this story with sort of two layers. There's sort of two layers to what's going on here. On the surface, what's obvious to everyone is that there's a physical road. There's a physical journey. They're actually walking. There's motion. These two men are literally walking seven miles to the city of Emmaus, or to the village of Emmaus. But there's a second layer just under the surface that Luke wants the reader to see. And that is that while there's a physical journey, there's also a much deeper spiritual journey that's taking place on this road. There's a journey happening in their own hearts as they're walking. Right? They go from sadness at the beginning of the story, just in utter despair... To what by the end? Joy. They go from being devastated and ruined to the last scene you see is them sprinting seven miles back to tell everyone what they had seen and heard. Or, or there's also this journey from doubt to faith. Right? When the story starts, when they're starting walking on the road, they've got all these skepticisms and all these questions, and their doubt is, we thought he was the one, but he isn't. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, but he's not. But by the end of the story, their hearts are flooded with faith. They believe, they see, they were the ones who told Jesus about the death and resurrection, but now they believed it. There's also this journey taking place in their hearts from religion to gospel. What I mean is, think about this, they knew all the facts of the gospel. Right? But how many of us know that you can know about Jesus 
without knowing Jesus, right? So you can tell other people about the gospel without the gospel ever having penetrated your heart. And so what happens over the course of these seven miles is what they know in their heads somehow travels about 18 inches south and finds a home in their hearts. Because they go from once telling Jesus he died, he rose again, to now believing he died and he rose again. And they take this journey also in their hearts from hopelessness to mission, right? In the beginning, they're walking away from Jerusalem. This is the city Jesus died. They've got to get out of town. And now at the end, they're sprinting back to that same city to tell everyone they can about what had happened on the road. And so what I want you to see is that for Luke's narrative, for Luke's story, this theme of a journey, this idea of a road is hugely important. But what you'll notice if you pan out, if you let the lens sort of zoom out for a second, is it's not just central to Luke's narrative, it's actually central, it's a metaphor, a theme throughout the whole of Scripture. This theme, this idea of journey, this idea of sojourners, travelers, of going from one place to another is replete throughout the Scriptures. It's everywhere for this idea of what it looks like to relate to God. Like people used to, when I was a a kid growing up in church, one of the questions, because we were all around religious people, that people used to ask is, how's your walk going? You didn't even know someone, but that was like your way of saying hi. How's your walk going, right? When it's stupid and silly, it's just Christianese talk. But when it's good, the idea was, listen, we get that this Christian life is primarily like a journey, like a road, like a walking with God. And you see that throughout the scriptures. Like if you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, one of the first stories you'll read in chapter 5 of this man named Enoch, it's just one verse that we basically know about him from Genesis. But the story is, he walked with God. And he was taken up and he was not, right? So we don't know much about the guy, but all we know is that his relationship with God was likened unto him walking with God. You turn the very next book and you're in the book of Exodus. And the central story of the book of Exodus is what? A journey from the land of slavery to the land of freedom. They literally, the people of Israel are in bondage and God literally walks them out, takes them on a journey, on a road out of bondage into freedom. They literally have to walk through the Red Sea to be free. God's redemption happens over a journey. It's pictured as this going from one place to another. Or then the people are in a desert, and again, they have to journey from the desert to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. All right, so what happens when you turn to the New Testament? Does it change? No. In fact, one of the most famous conversions in all the scriptures happens in the book of Acts, and it happens on a road. You've got this man named Saul of Tarsus, and he's literally walking a road, the road to Damascus, and he's got letters in his hand because he hates Christians, and he hates the church, and he hates Jesus, and he's ready to destroy them all, but on this road... Jesus literally knocks him off his horse. A bright light floods the sky. And he calls out to this man, Saul, Saul. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
And on that road, God redeems him and saves him and changes his life so that this man who had letters in his hand ready to kill the church spends the rest of his life writing letters to save the church and to plant the church. It's this incredible story. But, but it's not just the folks that are characters in the Bible. This is the same language to use to describe all the experience of Christians. The experience that all who have come to faith in Jesus is that of a journey. Right? How does the New Testament describe it? It says, we have crossed over, the book of John says, crossed over from death to life. We've walked from death to life. Or we've walked from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The, the whole of scripture is calling us now to a walk with God. To this journey with God. So just simply what I want you to hear is that throughout the scriptures, the idea of a journey, the idea of a road, the idea of a process, the idea of something happening gradually, the idea of discovering truth over time, being changed over time, is throughout the whole of scripture. It's hugely important to scripture. And so, as we begin 2010, I want you to hear, it's hugely important here. It's hugely important in this brand new baby church that we see life as a journey. That we see faith as a journey. And that's for everyone. That's for everyone. So, for example, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I need you to hear, you are welcome here. There's room for you on the road. One of the things that we love about this story is that Jesus is willing to walk seven miles with these men before they ever believe what he wants them to believe. Right? For seven miles, he doesn't push them away. He doesn't require at mile one that they believe in order to keep walking with them. But for seven miles, he's going to entertain their doubts and answer their questions and hear their skepticism and listen to their unbelief. And he's going to engage them and challenge them and keep walking with them. That, that's our hope for this community. Part of why we're calling it Seven Mile Road is the idea that you can belong here even before you believe. You can belong here even as you figure out what you believe. There's room for skeptics and seekers on this road. And so there's room with Jesus, and our hope is that would shape our community. That there would be room here also for people to wrestle with and struggle and ask their questions and, and come to believe. Now, it's no secret, so I'll let you in so that you don't feel like we pulled you in and then tricked you. Right from the start, if you don't believe, our deep hope, my deep hope and prayer, is that over the course of this journey, you'll come to believe just like these two men. But that's not so that we can add you to the team or get you to stay here. We're inviting you to stay whether or not you believe. But our hope is that you might experience what these two men experienced. So if you're not a Christian, there's room for you on the Seven Mile Road. And for the rest of you, if you are a Christian, I just want to remind you of something you already know, but I hope that it would be an encouragement to you. Your Christian life is a journey. That's simple, right? But just think through what that means for a second. Your Christian life is a journey. That, that means that this is not about a decision you made and now you're expected to have arrived. 
That means this is about a lifelong process that God is working on you and in you. Like how many of you struggle with the fact that you are not where you want to be? Or struggle with the fact that you're struggling with things that you wish you weren't and you so badly wish that you looked more like Jesus? I have really good news. The Christian life is a journey. It's not a destination arrived. It's a direction headed. It's a place we're going. This is how the Bible explains the Christian journey. It says we have been justified and we will be glorified. Right? So Romans 8 says you have been justified and you will be glorified. So justified is the moment when Christian faith and journey begins. That is that the moment or that season when you come to faith in Christ, at that very moment, heaven looks down on you and declares you innocent. You are forever declared innocent in the courts of heaven. That's justification. I was saved. But then at the end, you will be glorified. All who are justified will also be glorified. That is that Jesus will return, he will make all things new, and then we will be as he is. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed, and suddenly we will be sinless, even as he is sinless. I will be saved from the coming wrath of God. But in between these two snaps is a lifelong process called sanctification, where I am being saved, where day by day the old man is dying and the new man is being made in me, by the grace of Christ. I was saved. I will be saved. And for this life, I am being saved. I am being sanctified is the term. The idea that I'm being transformed into the image of Christ. So what I want you to hear is if the Christian life is a journey, what's really important is direction. I'm not concerned primarily with how much distance you've covered. Nor are we concerned primarily with how fast you're going. Our deep concern is what direction are you headed in? Are you being sanctified? Are, are you in this process? Right? One man named David Powelson wrote this article. Just a simple illustration. He said, listen, the question is, are you in a car going from Boston to Philadelphia, for example? And he's saying, listen, you could go 80 miles an hour, or you could go 60 miles an hour, or you could go 10 miles an hour, but the question is, are you headed in the right direction? Because you could be in a car going 100 miles an hour north, but you'll get to Montreal. You'll never get to Philly. The question is, listen, whether it's on your hands and knees, or whether you're sprinting, or whether you're going quick, are you headed in the right direction? There'll be different seasons of your life. Hear me, if you're a Christian... There'll be different seasons of your life. So some of you may be in a season where you feel like you're just sprinting with the Lord. And, and I don't know what your areas or issues are, but you feel like you're making great progress and the Lord is sanctifying you and you're looking at your past and you're like, I don't know how this is happening, but I just don't struggle with those things the way that I once did. You sort of feel the hair blowing in the wind because you're sprinting with the Lord in the right direction. Others of you... Maybe you're not sprinting, but you feel like at least you've got a steady walk. You know where the Lord's calling you, and, and you see Him starting to change things in your heart, and you're handling things differently, and things that you once fell for, you're not falling for, you're walking with the Lord. Others of you hear me, if you're not there now, at some season of your life, you'll be there. You will literally be on your hands and knees, and you're crawling 
an inch at a time. And your fingernails are worn out and your knees are bruised and you're barely moving. And you feel like you're still struggling with the same things and you feel like you're still overcome and there's just a million things that need to happen but you're heading in a direction. Right? And what I'm saying is we're not saying how far have you come or how fast are you going but the question of sanctification is what direction are you headed in? Like I want you to have great hope even if you're crawling to know Jesus has not given up on you and he will continue to move you along. There'll be times when you sort of fall asleep on the road and Jesus by his grace will wake you up and shake you so that you keep walking. Those whom he has justified, he will glorify. What that means is if he has justified you, he has never lost anyone along the road. Hear that? He has never lost anyone along the road. Everyone who has started this walk, he has brought them all the way to the end. There's a great verse in 1 Thessalonians that says, God is faithful. He will do it. He will sanctify you. The grace that began this walk in your heart will bring you to the end because Christian life is a journey. This man named John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, he had this great quote. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I once used to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I hope one day to be. But I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So that grace that started you on this journey, that started this, will continue and bring you to the end. Whether you're sprinting or crawling or walking, Jesus continues to invite you to the road. So if that's all true, it'll shape the kind of community we're going to be, right? It'll shape how we live the seven-mile road. It'll point us back to the gospel, because the, the story of the gospel is what? The story begins with man walking with God in the cool of the day. And then man falls and hides from God. And then God comes to the earth to walk with man. So that Revelation ends with what? Revelation 3 is, and so we walk with Jesus forever. It's a story of a journey. The, the whole story of the scriptures is a story where we walked with God, ran from God, God ran for us, so that one day we might walk forever with him. It'll affect the way we see the gospel. It'll also affect the way we see community. If all this is true, do you know what kind of community it'll produce? A really humble community, right? None of us will boast in how far we are on the road because in this season we may be running, but three weeks from now we may be crawling. And so we look with compassion on all those who are on this road with us. And those that are sprinting, we turn to and say, Brother, show me how to run. Encourage me along. And those that are crawling, we say, Brother, let me lend you a hand and walk together with you. It'll produce this humility because none of us have arrived. We're walking the road together. But it'll also lead us back again to mission. Right? Gospel community mission. Because who's invited to this journey? Everyone. Everyone. Skeptics and seekers and doubters and believers and the mature and the immature, all are invited to the road. And so our response will be like these men, to run back 
and call everyone and tell them to join us for life along this road. So, so what I'm hoping for us as we start 2010 is that this story would begin to shape the kind of people we're going to become. If you're not walking, may the Holy Spirit prod you until you start. And if you are walking, however your speed may encourage you because he will get you to the right destination. Amen. Let's pray.